I'm Brady Rector, and this is my wilderness moment. I think it's pretty common for us whenever we're in those places of discomfort, of pain, of not really sure where the future's gonna take us, for us to want to rush to the next thing, that thing that may fulfill us, whether it's the job promotion, or the spouse, or the kids, or the house, or whatever it is, we, it's easy for us to lose track of where we're at by focusing on what we want. Well, that's kind of where I was. See, I was raised in the church, uh, but like many people, whenever I went to college, I, I completely walked away from my Christian faith, and I started looking for, what is that next thing that will fulfill me? What is that next thing that will give my life purpose? And so, I started experimenting with drugs and partying and, and all the things that people would say, if only you try this, then your life will make sense, then you will be fulfilled. My life quickly spiraled out of control as addiction and substance abuse began to take hold of my life. I started hiding more and more, unsure of how friends and family would respond if they knew about my addictions. And by the grace of God, my family found out. My parents, who loved Jesus deeply, in that moment didn't respond in anger or in judgment, but responded like Jesus. I began to seriously reconsider their Christian faith because of how they had responded. Maybe there was something to this. This led me on an incredible journey where I ended up living in the woods of Tennessee for almost a year. My wilderness moment was actually in the wilderness. And it was there living under a tarp with five other men, all working through their own struggles and addictions that I found community, I found purpose, I found fullness, I found what I had been chasing. And I remember on October 17th, I remember I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I don't really like church. I don't really like Christians. If I'm honest, I don't even really like myself. But if you say my life has value, then you can have it all. And it was from that point that I started being healed and being restored, but living in the woods, eating the same food, living under a tarp, seeing the same people, you start thinking and hoping for, oh, I can't wait to be done. I can't wait to get my car back. I can't wait to have my cell phone. I can't wait to go get a job, get an apartment. You start kind of pining for the next thing. And it was in that place that Jesus taught me to slow down to learn the lessons that he was teaching me, to allow him to do the deep work of healing and restoration that he needed to do to my soul. See, it was in that place, in the wilderness, that God told us that even though it is uncomfortable to allow your sin, your addiction, your brokenness to come to the surface, that being in that place and allowing him to do the deep work, that's where the healing is found. CTK and friends tuning in. I love that story. Essentially, he just gave a picture of everything we're going to talk about this morning, of the fact that the wilderness is a holy place. The wilderness is a place of intimacy with God. It's a place of transparency. It's a place of great discomfort. It's a place of great glory. 
But before we get there, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Emily Jamison. As Grant said, I hail from down south, Gig Harbor. Um, we have a family of six. I'll introduce you to them. Um, here we go. We've got Tucker's my oldest. He's 13. Bennett on the right is 10. Wesley is 8. And little Finn is 5. And that tall drink of water on the right is my husband, Marshall. He's a one-pace wonder. He is faithful and kind and has a lot of patience with us all. We are homeschooling our four boys right now. So I tell people every day there's a little bit of hell and a little bit of holy, you know? There's no day that is a win. There's no day that is a total wash. Um, it is wild. It's been a wilderness season in and of itself because we don't know how long we will be here, right? Um, but it has been refining. There's been a lot of screaming. I tell people if the one thing that my kids really know at the end of this whole thing is repentance, then we've done well because I have a lot of opportunities to demonstrate it. So um, that's that being said, um, that is my family. It is such a gift to be with you here. Like Grant said, I got to come and be with you once before. And I've just, I love this community. I love the leadership as I've gotten to know Grant and Laurel, those who are leading worship, the staff. There is such a humility, authenticity that has been cultivated in this space. You are loved well. And so it's a gift to be here with sort of the extended family and um, friends and I can't wait to talk to you this morning about what the Lord has brought me through in terms of wilderness seasons. There's not just one I found. There are many throughout our lives. And I want to invite you this morning, I was, I was praying particularly because, you know, preaching three different times for me, if it's not fresh for me, it's not going to be fresh for you. And so while I'm teaching from the same scripture three different times, I have a sense that there are different people in the room. There are different ears tuning in. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I feel like the Lord has for us this morning. God, we thank you for this moment in time. I thank you for every heart that is present, for the ears that are open to hear. God, I ask that you would translate between my mouth and their hearts what it is that you want to communicate. I thank you that you are present. We don't have to invite the spirit to come into a place. You say that there's nowhere we can go from your presence. And so because of that reality that there is nowhere that we can go from your presence, we ask that we would wake up to it. That we would become more aware this morning, our, our minds, our hearts, our imaginations, even our bodies. That God, your spirit would transcend time and space and screens. That there would be people in living rooms that get a sense of your presence. That there's a pace that quickens in their heart um, that is healthy. And perhaps a warmth in their body. Maybe there is um, a thought that comes to mind that they realize, gosh, that, that's in me, but it doesn't seem like it was from me. Holy Spirit, would you speak this morning? We're in Exodus 17, and Grant last week, if you didn't tune in, he kind of ran through Exodus 1 through 16, and it's the story of Moses um, being called by God in this place of holiness. He takes his shoes off, a burning bush speaks to him, God tells him who he is, that he is going to be a deliverer, and he goes to Egypt, and there are signs and wonders, and the Pharaoh finally lets the people go, you know, let my people go, and they, they leave Egypt, they go through the waters that are parted on either side, they are now into the wilderness, they are they are bound for the promised land, but there is no timeline in this wilderness season. They don't know when they're going to get there, and the, Egypt, or the Israelites get hungry. They are thirsty, and there are miracle, there's miracle upon miracle that happens in this place. By day, they're led by a cloud. By night, there's a pillar of fire. They get hungry, and food falls from heaven. They call it manna, which literally means, what is, what is this? 
What is this that we're eating? There's quail that fall to the ground. At one point, they have no water, they're thirsty. And Moses, who is their leader, who has had an intimate interaction with God, where he was first, he, this is his second wilderness space that we know of, right? He was met by God in the wilderness, told who he was. And now he's leading the people into their own wilderness season. He throws his staff into this water and it becomes pure. They're able to drink. And what we find in Exodus 17 is another scenario where the people have become thirsty and we get a glimpse into their hearts. And the thing that the Lord put on my heart this morning, what I sensed when I asked, I said, God, who's going to be here this morning? Who am I speaking to? And there were two words that came to mind, leaders and the lonely. I trust that there are leaders in this room. Whether you're leading a few little people under your feet, whether you're leading a business, a church, a home, a family, you are leaders in this room. There are people watching you, following you. And God so often invites, beckons leaders into a wilderness season because it, it is that place where you have intimacy with God that is forged, where you are revealed for your true character, where things come to light. It is not a comfortable place, but it is a holy place. And I think about the lonely, and if you know, if, you know, often those two go hand in hand. It can also often be very lonely to lead. Some of you may not see yourselves as leaders, but you do know you're lonely. And what I want to gift to you is the fact that there is no place that you are less alone than in the wilderness place with God. There is no one that knows you better and loves you more. And so we're going to look at this story um, in Exodus 17, and we're going to go on a journey. I'm going to invite you that this morning, this next 20 minutes or so, we're going to go on a wilderness journey together. And I trust that you are going to hear from the Lord. I trust that you're going to have things reframed for you of what this time, this space is really for as you meet with God. And so let's read. It says this in Exodus 17, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, Oh, just kidding. Um, let's turn it around. All the congregation, I jumped ahead. <laughs> All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. This is interesting. I don't know why this place is called sin. Doesn't sound awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm going to gift you this. I, I, I love, there's a pastor that talks about the first thing we need freedom from is bad definitions. How many do you know that, that words matter? I'm an English major. I'm a word nerd. I love language. It's, it matters. And the word sin, I'm just going to offer you this. The word sin is actually an archery term. And so if you think about, you know, archery, yes, arrows. I'm not a professional archer or anything. And you have a bullseye in the middle. And the bullseye, if you think about God, is, is, is God's perfectly intended purpose for our life, which is to walk in unity with God and love others, to make love visible to the world. And so that's God's perfectly intended purpose, that you would know God, that you would be connected to him, that you would walk with him and hear from him, and that as a result of your knowledge of God and your relationship with him, that you would know that you are not alone, that you are loved, that you are invaluable, that you have unique gifts and talents and things to offer the world to make love visible. And as you do so, you will love others well and bring them into their true identity. This is God's perfectly intended purpose for your life. And a sin is when you shoot that arrow and you miss the mark whether by an inch or a mile, a sin is just missing the mark. So in any way that we miss that perfectly intended purpose, if we believe something different, that God is not with us, that I am not valuable or worthy, 
A mentor of mine talks about the fact that what we believe about God determines what we believe about ourselves, which then determines our behavior. So often we want to behavior modify. I just, if I would just stop doing this or just start doing this, but we need to back up and recognize that when I believe in the truth of God, that he is with me, that he is for me, that I am loved, that I am valuable, then that allows me to see myself in a right way. And then I begin to walk in ways, I begin to operate, behave in ways that reflect my true identity and the goodness of God. And so they're moving on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Ironically, they're, they're literally closing the gap. They're leaving behind separation. What I want you to know is that when you enter the will, ooh, that was good, okay. When you enter the wilderness, so often we feel like we're getting farther from God and from others. What you need to know is that is a place of intimacy. You're moving away from separation, from feeling far, because God is leading you into an experience where you are going to grow in intimacy, where you're really going to see God's true character, his compassion, his presence, his love. They move on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you crow with me? Why do you test the Lord? I mean, he's already fed them. He's already given them water. They were so demanding at this point, but it tells us something. But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord. So I want to pause there. So the people, what this is revealing, they're in this wilderness place and in the wilderness place, our appetites are revealed. We begin to recognize, like, I'm thirsty for this. I'm hungry for this. This is what I really want. We begin to um, become perhaps bitter and angry because we're aware of what we want and what we don't have. And that is not a bad thing. That's actually a beautiful invitation for you to know this, this question. Often God asks me, and what do you want? That's a hard question to answer. What do you want? But the people are, are lodging this complaint from a perspective that they don't understand who God is. And they certainly don't trust their leader who has already had intimacy with God and is the one that they've entrusted for them, their, their lives to follow. And so they're like, they're allowing their circumstances to define who God is. We don't have water, therefore God's not good and you want to kill us. How often do we let our circumstances define who God is? rather than letting a good God define our circumstances. We have a God that is good, that is for us, that is with us, and we have, we have the word of God that tells us, that promises us that this world is not our home. And we are promised trials and difficulty here, and we're meant to bring heaven to earth because this place is dying and it's wanting. Our hope is not here. Our hope is in the Lord, but there's something beautiful about the, the fact that God says, I want to break in. I want to bring heaven to earth and I want to come by way of you and you're only going to discover me in the secret place, in the wilderness place. And so when I walk into a scenario, whether it's of my own doing, I think about plagiarizing paper in college, getting suspended for nine months, feeling like my life was over and it was a wilderness place of nine months and in that place, man, I would never want to go through it again, but I would never take it back. It was in that place that I learned God's forgiveness, his care for me, the fact that by his grace, I got caught so that he could once and for all root out deceit in me that was rooted in fear because I felt like I wasn't good enough. I learned the Lord's voice in that place. I learned intimacy because I would wake up and all I could do was talk to him until I went to bed that night because I felt so alone and so afraid. 
All of my identity had been stripped from me. Ivy League student, Division I soccer player, all the things gone for that season. And I had to find my worth in something that was greater and not so temporary. It was God's grace to me in that place. I will tell you I wanted to get the hell out. But I look back and I recognize that God lured me in because he had something so much better for me. Moses cried to the Lord, so he gets the complaint of the people. And he cries to the Lord because he knows where to go with this complaint. What shall we do? What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Like, they're going to kill me. I need you to show up here. He trusts God. He brings this intercessory prayer. He brings it to the Lord. So here's the complaint of the people that don't yet trust God. I mean, they've been in slavery for a long time. They're probably, like, is God even, I mean, they've seen a lot of miracles, but they haven't been convinced yet of his character. And so Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. The staff is, is, is somewhat like the presence of the Spirit of God. And I'll talk about this in a moment. He says, behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah, which basically just means bitterness and quarreling, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is a great question. How many of you have ever asked that question? God, are you here? Are you with me or not? I don't hear you. I don't see you. Every complaint I'm lodging, will you change this? Will you get me out? I don't see you moving or working. I feel so alone. Are you with me or not? It is such a good question. And I want to commit to you the fact that the Lord is like, I've never left you or forsaken you. I might not be where you're looking. I don't think they were looking at a rock for water. Right? I think the Lord shows up in very unpredictable places and we need to watch and notice and listen and ask simple questions rather than, God, change the situation or get me out. This is the question that a mentor sort of submitted to me that changed her life and has now changed mine. But to come to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to know about you right now? What do you want me to know about me right now? He might not always answer my complaint or my plea to get me out of the storm, but he will meet me in the midst of it and say, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I have some things for you, and we're going to stay here a little while. It's so important that we understand scripture in context. Context is king. Every major cult and everything that goes sideways is like one verse that's taken out of context and you can pretty much qualify anything with a verse. And so it's so important that we know the context of scripture. And so when you, we have this library, 66 books, okay? This library and there's 66 books. We're in the second book here in Exodus. Oh goodness, sorry. Um, <laughs> but there's 66 books. We're in the second book here. And what we need to understand is there's a moment when Jesus, the visible image of of the invisible God, the one who came to make love visible, because it says in scripture that no one had before seen God before we saw Jesus. So here's God in his fullness, God in a bod, come in the flesh to reveal to us who he is, how he acts, his compassion, his, oh gosh, his unpredictability, his patience, his healing power. He is, oh my gosh, he is perplexing. People come to him and they're like, is it A or B? And he's like, how about H? He always has another way. In a world that's so binary right now, there's another way. We have to seek the Lord for the third way. 
But what we have to understand is that he looks at the Pharisees and he says, you search the scriptures diligently, thinking that in them you'll find life. But the the scriptures, these scriptures, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so when we look through these scriptures, there's this pinnacle. We have to filter everything through the person of Jesus, the cross of Christ, the resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so as I was reading this scripture, I was like, Lord, show me. where." And he took me on this like scriptural scavenger hunt. What else do I know about a rock? What else do I know about water? And there's this great moment where Jesus is looking at Peter. Okay, Peter's one of the boys. He's got these disciples, right? One of the boys. And so Simon Peter. Simon is his given name. And Jesus renames him. He gives him a new name. In the same way that he gives you and I a new name. I was a deceiver. Now I'm a truth teller. I was a shapeshifter. I was always changing how things went because I was so nervous about how people saw me. The Lord met me and now I'm a trajectory shifter. My whole goal is to get, and not even goal, it's just who I am. What the Lord has told me is that when people glance off you, they will move closer to my heart. When you are walking in your true identity, it's just what you will do. Do you know you have a new name? And so Jesus gives Peter a new name, Simon Peter. Sorry, yes, Peter. And Peter means, Petros means rock, little rock. And there's a moment when Jesus is looking at Peter and the boys and he says, hey, you guys, what do what other people say about me? Who do people say that I am? And they begin to give the things that they've heard, the opinions of others. You're a prophet. You're... They have all these ideas. And then Jesus interrupts and he says, but Peter, what do you say? It's one of the most important questions you will ever be asked. Who do you say that I am? I want you to take a moment right now and just close your eyes. And I love that God has given us our imaginations, our hearts. Every part of us is meant to be accessible to the King of Kings. And I want you just to imagine in your mind's eye that, that Jesus is before you. Just get a sense of his presence. And in the most tender and kind tones, he looks at you and says, who do you say that I am? however honest you can be. It might be, I've heard that you're good, but I don't know yet. You might be in a place where like you are Lord. You're the one that I want the most. To confess is to tell the truth. Homo legeo is the same as God, confession. It's to say the same as God. It's what he already knows. And when we come to him honestly, He can meet us in that place and he can exchange lies for truth. So you say, I've heard you're good, but I don't know yet. And he's like, let me show you. He's gonna take you on a journey and most likely it will involve a wilderness place. What you need to know about Jesus is that the moment that he was given his identity, right? He lives this life of anonymity. He's in a hidden place. We don't know much about his life at all. The first 30 years of his life. But in that place of hiddenness, of obscurity, was great significance where he cultivated intimacy with God, character, integrity. He did not have the applause of people, so he didn't need it. So when he comes out and he begins his public ministry, the first thing that happens is he goes out into a wilderness place, a desolate place. And John the Baptist, his cousin, comes, baptizes him in the water. And in that moment, we have the scene where it's like the the spirit descends on him like a dove. There's this sense of just something descending upon him, laying upon him. And there's a voice that comes from heaven that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, my beloved son. God's first voice from heaven is not, this is what I want you to do or here's where I want you to go. Do you know that that's not his primary concern for us? 
what he wants you to do or where he wants you to go. His primary concern is, I love you and you are mine. Because if you know that you are loved, then you will work and walk and move out of love from love and not for love. And we need to know that we are so dearly loved. And then do you know what happens next? The spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. I think so often we find ourselves in wilderness places and we think God has abandoned us. Could it be, could it be that the spirit actually invited us there? Because God has something for us in that place. He wants to forge something in us. He wants to reveal true character in us. And all of our decisions of yesterday will determine how we respond in the secret place. I had this great teacher in high school. She was my geometry teacher. And she allowed us to take tests over and over all throughout the semester until we were pleased with our grade. And it wasn't because she did not care about our grade. She said, my goal is for you to graduate from this class knowing the material. And every time you test on the same subject, it's revealing to you how much you know. This is the kind of testing I believe the Lord gives us. He already knows. He's not saying, let's see if you get an A or a C. He's going, I'm, I'm going to give you a new opportunity to work out what I have placed in you so that you understand that you have greater authority, so that you understand that you have greater resilience. I want to work something out in you. The place, the wilderness place is a place where a rock is broken and water comes out. Do you not know that Jesus is the bedrock of our faith? When Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus responds to him, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but the spirit of God. And then he goes on and he says, Peter, Petros, little rock, I will build my church upon this Petra. That means bedrock. What he's saying is, hey, little rock, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build this living body of believers. Ephesians says that we are like living stones built one on top of another. And together, when we walk in unity across the body of Christ, across denominations and ethnicities and all the different spaces, generations, we build together this beautiful living body that makes love visible to the world. And we need each other. And so he says, I'm going to build a church based on the revelation that Jesus is the son of God. And then I will become unity. I will tear down every dividing wall and I will join together those that were once separated in sin. Separate. Sin is a separation. That's what it is. And God wants to unify us together in love, in dignity, in honor. And when Jesus dies on the cross, his body is broken for us. And many days later on Pentecost, living water pours out. And we receive the spirit of the living God. And Jesus is, there's a moment when Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, how much longer do I have to be here with you? And for a time I was like, gosh, that's so rude. Like, he just doesn't seem very kind. But you have to remember, context is king. There is no condemnation in Christ. Therefore, that was not a condemning word. So they had to search the scriptures and ask the Lord, what did you mean by this? Why did you say how much longer do I have to be here with you? And all of a sudden this revelation came up in my spirit and I was like, oh my gosh. And it was as if the Lord was saying, I can't wait to send my spirit. Spirit. I'm so tired of being limited in this finite body. He, he understands how we feel when we are finite and limited. 
He's like, I cannot wait for this body to be broken as painful as it might be so that I can send my spirit and the spirit of God can take up residence in every one of my people and they can have revelation. They can experience my love. They can hear in their own minds, in their own imaginations, my voice. I'm going to give them the mind of Christ and it's going to change everything. And so the rock is broken. The water pours out. The people drink. And we're going to end in this next place. We're going to go to the next part of Exodus 17. Because I want you to understand that in the wilderness place, it is a place of transparency. It's a place where our appetites are revealed. It's a place where the spirit is inviting us to be honest. It's a place where you're going to wrestle with the enemy. When Jesus goes into the wilderness place 40 days, he comes face to face with the enemy. Everything is stripped away and it's like a one-on-one. Mano y mano. And he is, he is tempted in the place of his appetites, in the place of an audience and power. These are, it's the same weapons that the enemy has always used. Are you going to want people's applause over the Lord's applause? Are you going to satisfy your fleshly appetites over the one who's going to satisfy you the most? Are you going to want to get to your purpose now and side, side, what, side cut, shortcut all the gloriousness that's actually going to get you there. Jesus is like, I'm going to do it the way of the Father. And he shuts down the enemy time after time again. And it says that he was led to the wilderness by the Spirit, but he came out in the power of the Spirit. Your wilderness place is a place of intimacy with God, of revealing his power in you, his power made perfect in weakness, so that you can come out of the wilderness in power and strength, And I love, there's two scriptures that the Lord brought me to. One is in Hosea. And Hosea is a man who God basically invites to to take a bride who is a prostitute. And it's this picture of God's faithful to, to us even though we wander so often. And there's a moment when she's already left again and, and she comes back and it says this, Hosea says, therefore behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Echor a door of hope. The valley of Echor is a valley of trouble. And that valley of trouble is going to become a doorway to hope. This is what Jesus desires in your wilderness season. He's going to place something in you so that you have something to offer. You can't give away what you don't have. And you can only lead other people to the intimacy with Jesus that you've personally experienced. And on the other side of that, there's this moment in Song of Solomon where the chorus is singing and they look out and they say, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the chest of her beloved? This is the picture, that we would come up not by our own strength, but because we have leaned on the strength of the one who loves us the most. And I'll finish here. The the rest of Exodus 17, essentially they go into battle and Moses gets tired. He says, tomorrow I'll stand up on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand, the presence of God with me. So Joshua did as Moses told him. They fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So they're in this battle. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. So when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we prevail. This is why it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He will be with you. He has his hand up whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But who knows that we get weary and tired? Yeah? We do. We get weary. We get tired. Moses' hands grew weary. And so what does he do? So they took a stone and put it under him. They gave him, take a seat, old man. You've been doing well. I know you're tired. This is what we get to do for each other. When the Lord brings someone to mind, ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Call them, pray for them, bring them a meal. Just ask. 
Trust that God's going to bring things to mind. You have the mind of Christ. He's going to randomly out of nowhere bring a name to mind. Ask him, what shall I do? They put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the others on the other side. I have just come through a wilderness season of my own and there was a day as the Lord was drawing me out of it. And it was friends out of nowhere. It was like three days in a row. A friend called Emily. I was driving and your name came to mind. It was so strong that I had to pull over. And I began to pray for you. Are you okay? And she began to minister and just encourage me. She had been praying for me. I was so encouraged. The Lord's bringing me to the mind of other people. Do you know that when someone comes to your mind, that could be the spirit of God leading you to hold up somebody's hands? So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. They overcame Your relationship with Jesus is incredibly personal. There is no one else that relates to him, sees him, experiences him like you. But it is not meant to be private. And so what God reveals to you in the secret place, in those wilderness places, a dear friend of mine, Trevor, she says, play show and tell. You experience, you witness something of God, and then you come out and you share it with others. The story, the worship. It says in scripture that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. So as you witness, as you say, oh my gosh, this is what God is teaching me. This is what I'm seeing there. It's going to spark something in others. And what's amazing about this, my dear friend always says this, when you get a whiff of someone, what someone else is eating, you want it too, right? Have you ever not really been hungry and then you smell someone's food, you're like, I will have what she's having. This is the same thing with the spirit of God. When I hear someone else talking about what they're experiencing in the secret place, even where they've come out of a wilderness and what they've experienced with God. I'm like, I want that too. As much as my flesh doesn't want to be in pain or, or want to be uncomfortable, there's something deeper in me that wants more and know there's more to be had. Our God is not comfort. Our God is a comforter. He promises to be with us in the trials and the difficulties of life. Let us pray, Lord Jesus. I ask that right now you would come, that you would speak. You are already here. I'm going to ask you right now just to pose a question. Whatever kind of wilderness you might be in in this moment, wherever you can't see the way forward, would you just ask the Lord, God, what is it that you want me to know? What's the first thing that comes to mind? And Jesus... When you look at me, when you meet me in the secret place, Richard Foster calls it a portable sanctuary of the heart. What is it that you see? What do you call me? What do you want me to know? God, would we be a people that listen, that get transparent, that don't beg to get out of the wilderness place without getting from it whatever it is that you want to offer us because it is worth more than life. Jesus, you really are better than anything else.